Well, hello and welcome to the next episode of Pegasus Radio and the next in the Meet the Boss series. Today, I am joined by Richard Julian of RJA Consultants. Welcome, Richard. Hi. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah, no, thank you very much for getting me on board. My absolute pleasure. So, Richard, shall we dive straight in? Do you want to give us an understanding of RJA Consultants? Maybe, when did the name change? So obviously, I believe you were Richard Julian and Associates, and then the name has changed. I guess, how yeah. recently was that? And then maybe just give us an overview of, I guess, the size of the business, core sectors, et cetera. Yeah, no problem at all. I actually set the business up in 2004. Um, that was when it was Richard Julian and Associates. And uh, prior to that, I was a director of uh, multidisciplinary practice in Leicester and headed up their QS and PM division. Okay. And then sold out of that and set up Richard Julian Associates. And then rebranded, I forget how long ago it was now, probably five or six years ago, something like that, that we changed the name to RJA Consultants. Still very much operating as Richard Julian Associates Limited, but trading as RJA Consultants. And a number of reasons why we did that. One was to, everybody was calling us RJA anyway. Richard right, okay. Julian Associates is a bit of a mouthful, particularly as our email address was richardjulianassociates.co.uk, so it was a hell of a lot of down. And also just to make the business perhaps less reliant on my name as well as we were growing and to uh, recognize the fact that we've got a really great team of people. It's not just all about me driving the business. So that's why we rebranded. The work that we're doing, we are charter quantity surveyors, project managers, construction consultants, party wall surveyors, and uh, operate across a number of sectors. So we're operating in the healthcare sector. We do quite a lot of projects for doctor's surgeries. We've got five or six of those on the go at the moment around the country, either new build or extensions and refurb. We do quite a bit of commercial work, so office work, although that's tailed off a little bit, obviously you can imagine on the back sure, of the yes. But we are project managing a new office HQ for a national company at the moment in Leicestershire. We do a fair amount of private residential development for private residential developers, and also a lot of affordable housing work. And that's quite a large part of our business now and has been for a while but it's something we've concentrated on more and more over the last few years it's it represents over 60 percent of our our project and we've got uh, of our projects and we've got projects on all over the country from the northeast in darlington down to kent and everything in between really and then a new sector that we've been involved in in the last 12 months or so is insurance as well so right teamed up with a firm of building surveyors who've got offices all over the country and where they're visiting a site or a property that's been damaged by fire or flood or subsidence or whatever, and they need some cost expertise, we come on board as the charter QSs and make cost assessments for them or carry out a value at risk assessment of what the buildings would cost to rebuild to make sure they're not underinsured. And again, that's something we weren't doing 12 or 18 months ago, but um, we're doing quite a lot of that now. And uh, that's good work as well. And also like affordable housing, it tends to be relatively recession proof it does well in the or doesn't do any worse in these difficult times that we're in at the moment yeah and you'd like to think hopefully social housing should if anything improve if, if all the you know the government's mantra is right about what it wants to do to level up and you know give more people homes so you, you have to think that will increase well definitely without without any shadow of a doubt because it's not always the case that every political party is supporting affordable housing but it is at the moment and even the Tories are doing that which isn't something that they're always best known for but they are putting money into affordable housing. They recognise the shortage of housing in the country. And it was a deliberate policy of ours about three years ago to increase or try to increase that work in that sector. 
well, we recognised at the time with Brexit on the horizon. Obviously, nobody foretold the pandemic at that stage, but sure. we could be heading towards a downturn. And it was something we tried to strengthen our sector experience. And, and we've been really fortunate to do that. And just going off on a quick tangent, do you think, Richard, that, you know, the numbers that the government are putting out in terms of what it wants to build over the next decade in terms of housing, do you think that's realistic? Because some of the numbers versus the numbers that we are building at seem to me to be a little bit um, out of kilter. Yeah, and I think, was it ever thus? It yeah. has been for years. I don't know the last time that a government managed to build its targets that it said that it needs to achieve. Yeah. And I suspect even the targets that it's setting are lower than probably really needed. So I'll be very, very surprised. I think they're talking about 300,000 a year, something like that. I, I believe that's the figure, but they're building nowhere near that, are they? So. Nowhere near, and they haven't done for, for years, probably, certainly not within my working lifetime. No. But that must be making the issue even more acute because obviously they must be getting, you know, the gap must be getting stretched even more in terms of what they need to build versus what they are building. Well, exactly. I do think a lot of it started once there was this desire to sell off council housing and give people the right to buy, rightly or wrongly, whatever you think of it. It's still around now. People will still buy their council houses and it's just reducing the housing stock that's available to people who are starting out in life or who want to rent good affordable accommodation. So for as many as we're building, they're also selling stock off still. And I don't think that's where, for my opinion, all it's done is boost the housing market at the expense of people who really need low-cost housing. Yes, yeah, I would agree, absolutely. So Richard, what's the current headcount of the business now? Well, currently there's 22 of us and uh, we've got three more people joining in the next month, which Fantastic. will take to 25. So quite bizarrely, over the last eight or nine months during the pandemic, we've been busily recruiting. We've been quite fortunate with the pandemic. At the start of it, in March time, when it was all kicking off, none of us knew where we were going to stand. None of us knew whether we had sure. anything yes. at the end of it. And I think everybody was in the same boat. We we're all frantically carrying out cash flow projections for the next 12 months. And what happens if it lasts for three months, the lockdown, or six months, or 12 months? We did furlough seven people at the beginning of April. We were very fortunate that we managed to get them all back again at the beginning of May. And since then, we've not had to furlough anybody, which has been brilliant. And as I say, ironically, we've took on quite a number of people in the last few months. Summer 19, there was 11 of us, and now there'll be 25 of us come Christmas. So we've okay. actually gone through yeah. quite a significant period of growth. For that size of business, definitely. That's a pretty massive percentage growth. It is. So, yeah, we've been fortunate. And actually, we were only looking at having a management meeting this morning and discussing next year in our pipeline of work that we've got. And just before this this meeting with you now, we were interviewing somebody else. So we are looking at additional staff next year as well, which is brilliant. It's a great position to be in. And to be fair, now, of course, I've been naive to say that some companies have not struggled through this process, but actually, on the whole, a lot of my consultancy clients are reporting that, you know what, generally not as bad as we foresaw it to be. Not as bad, and certainly what I do for a living, I'm a good barometer, where if you'd have asked me back in March where I thought I'd be now this time of year fee-wise, I would have said nowhere near where we actually are. So... It's good, you know, the market is still moving. I'm not surprised if he's at you guys charge, though, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we don't want to open that kind of worms right now, do we, Richard? <laughs> we started it. <laughs> but no, it is interesting. That it all depends who you talk to at the moment. And yes. we have seen a few contractors go bust. Yep, sadly so, yeah. Which is really sad. Some good contractors as well that mm -hmm. have struggled. And we've seen one or two consultancies, not all QSs or rocket project managers like us, but architects that are perhaps it's a bit quiet, but there's a lot that are really, really busy. But interestingly, two of the two of the new starters that are joining us in December are both apprentices. So we do employ quite a number of apprentices. These guys 
are both at Nottingham Trent University doing day release schemes, and they've both been made redundant by their current consultant employers just because of the way the world is. And um, NTU approached us to see if we, because we've already got several with them. And uh, we interviewed them, one's in their fourth year there and one's in their third year there, and both really, really nice guys. They, one starts next week and one at the beginning of January. So there are people out there who are getting laid off who are being made redundant. But um, I think overall, the industry's been quite resilient. I think uh, it's done, it's done quite so. well. I think you're absolutely right to highlight that, Richard. That is the one area, that is the one level that has suffered the most is that kind of trainee, graduate, apprenticeship level. Uh, and it's really sad as well. You know, we have to be very careful about this in the industry. We keep on going through this 10-year cycle. As you said earlier, nobody could have predicted COVID. That said, if we do lose a generation of young surveyors out of the market now, the pain will be felt 10 years down the line is oh, the reality. Completely agree. And it's easy to just perhaps think the first ones to lay off if you're in trouble, because certainly in the first year or two of an apprenticeship, you're perhaps putting more into them than you're getting out of them. It does pay back masses in dividends later if you can stick with it. Whereas I guess if you've got somebody good, hands-on experience who can deliver projects for you without too much help, then you're going to keep hold of those. As of once we take on these two two guys, we'll then have some an apprentice at every year at Nottingham Trent Uni. So we'll have two, sorry, one first year, two second years, one third year, one fourth year, one fifth year. So hopefully what we're doing is building a pipeline of good surveyors who are going to be with us for many years to come. Yeah. So that's what we're trying to do. Well, look, I applaud you for that and the other businesses that are doing it. And, um, you know, I think one, it probably makes sound commercial sense for you to some extent at the end of the day. Oh, you know, yeah. you develop these individuals and train them properly. Um, relative to how much a good QS costs these days, you get you get them relatively cheap as you build them up and hopefully they stay with you. But the wider position is if we don't have enough companies like you and others doing this, the industry is going to be in a complete mess. Um, yeah. And then you're all going to be scrabbling around for too few senior QSs in another five, 10 years time. Yeah, no, that's always the and paying my exorbitant fees, Richard. So um, <laughs> <laughs> to try and find your people. So um, yeah, it's, it's a genuine concern of mine. You know, the industry collectively needs to take responsibility. Otherwise, we're just going further and further back in terms of the skills gap. Mm. A lot of people don't almost get to the skills gap at the moment because of the current crisis, but there genuinely is, and there has been for years. Oh, without a doubt. I think if you try and find that quantity surveyor level, say rather between an assistant and a senior a good quality quantities of a project manager who can deliver projects and yeah. they're you know very difficult to find and they're in great demand and i think that's just sure. what you've just been saying you know they've not there's been that, that skills gap if you like over the last few years mm. those that are around are in great demand so obviously covid's probably well it's not knocked you off of course at all actually you've grown through covid but what are your plans do you feel for let's say the next year or next few years in terms of where rja will go as a business we're really optimistic for the future, which is good. As I said, we've been really fortunate in the sectors that we're involved in, remained resilient over the last 12 months or so, and um, we've got plans to carry on growing. So our financial year works up to the end of March, like most people's, and mm. um, we've already secured our base turnover for next year, even if we didn't win another piece of work between now and 15 months. We're realistically looking at, hopefully, what will be a fairly significant period of growth over the next 12 months. Our target in our business plan. I mean, we, we set up a five-year business plan three years ago, so we three years grew it and was to double in size in five years, and we've done that in three years. So I think we're looking again next year. We targeted a 20% increase next year, but I think that's more likely to going to be 50%, 60% the way we're looking at the moment. We are going to be looking at additional surveyors at all levels, really, both senior level and uh, 
QS level and probably one or two assistants as well to help us with the workload that we've secured. And do you feel you're going to diversify sectors anymore, Richard? And if so, are there particular sectors? You know, sorry, I just lost you then. Sorry, Richard. Do you think you're going to diversify sectors? And if so, are the particular sectors that are on your radar? We are, as I said, I mentioned the ones we were strong in earlier on, yes. which is affordable housing and private resi, commercial, insurance, medical. Education is a sector that we'd like to try and crack. I've got experience in educational from previous life, if you like, at other practices, as have one or two of the surveyors here and my co-director, Steve. But it's something we don't do a lot of ourselves. So we've had one or two opportunities where we've been introduced to educational schemes. Again, I think there is business out there in the education sector. I think the yeah, government really. is interested in helping schools to improve and improve their capital stock, et cetera. So that's something that we would like to diversify into. Mm. And it's quite often it's about getting the first opportunity there, doing a good job, showing them what you can do. And that getting that first opportunity can be quite difficult, despite the fact that all of us in the profession know our skills are transferable from mm. sector to sector. They always want to know what experience you've got in that sector. And uh, that's the difficulty that we have to face. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously very framework driven, isn't it? But, uh, which it can be, yeah. And frameworks can be very difficult, um, mm. particularly yeah. for a smaller practice like ours, that you can spend a whole week preparing a PQQ and filling it in properly, et cetera. And that can mm. take a lot of your time. And then you find you don't get through the first hurdle for whatever it may be, or you do be successful and get on the framework and then you don't hear anything more from them even after that. So sometimes they're successful, but personally with frameworks, I think quite often you're better off if you know people within that business or you've done some work with them in the past. You've got a bit of an introduction to them anyway. But yeah, it can take up a hell of a lot of time. There's no doubt about that. And what's your more of a longer term horizon, Richard? What's your take on the industry over the next decade or two decades? Where what change do you think will happen in the industry? Well, um, good question. I think, you know, we've been talking about the introduction of technology and um, combined learning for a long time. So with the introduction of BIM, it's not, BIM hasn't sort of affected, or I say affected, we've not had much experience of BIM to date. One of our senior surveyors is, has been sort of looking at BIM for us over the last two years, and we've formed a a sort of research, I suppose you call it, partnership with a firm of architects locally. And okay. them, they're also introducing BIM in terms of how they operate and their 3D modelling, et cetera. Yeah. And then we're taking those 3D models and seeing what we can produce for them in terms of quantities and estimates. But for the project we're working on, we've never had one yet that has been a requirement of us personally to introduce BIM or be part of the BIM team. Mm-hmm. But I think it will come, certainly on the larger project. And I think on a, obviously the government finance projects, there's a move towards that. And I think that will become yeah. more and more the norm. So I think that's going to be a challenge and an opportunity for everybody in the industry. But it's been around for a while. It's been around for now, but quite a few years. And it's mm. not quite reached the level of everybody getting involved in. But I think that will make a difference. I think the introduction of technology generally will probably, particularly for professionals and how we operate. So, mm-hmm. for instance, we employ a clerk of, uh, well, five full-time clerks of works in which has been quite a, perhaps an old-fashioned role in some respects, that people thought the clerk of works role was dying. And that going out there, the time served craftsman doing quality checks on buildings, it perhaps wasn't as sexy as it was many years ago. And um, But it's come back. And again, 18 months ago, we didn't have any, and now we've got five. And coming back at force as well, I think, you know, I think we're going to see that little discipline grow because clearly... Obviously, Grandfather and others have demonstrated that there isn't that quality control in place, unfortunately. Absolutely. And certainly we've seen the demand for it rise, you know, really strongly. 
And when we first, I mean, literally 18 months ago, they would have a copy of the paper drawings. They had to go around site looking at them and uh, making sure they got the correct spec, etc. But just earlier this year, we've just gone down a different route. We've given them all iPads. They're all connected up. And what they do is they go around on site. They can access the server immediately from their site. They can download the latest drawings at any one time. They're always up to date. They always know they're looking at the latest ones, the latest spec. They take the photos of their site report with the iPad. They dictate their snagging notes or their clerk of works reports. That all comes back digitally to our clerk of works administrator in the office and the reports with the photos and the snagging this are all issued the same day by email. And I think that's completely sped up the process by which they're working. And it's given them so much more time on site inspecting and doing what they're good at and less time doing admin work, which they're not good at, frankly. And it's made a big difference. And it's been the contractors we're working with are all chuffed a bit because they're getting the report straight away and not a couple of days later. And our clients like it as well. So I think that's just one demonstration, really, of how technology can, we can use it to our advantage. Absolutely. And, and, you know, with no disrespect to your average clerk of workers, usually probably a certain age who've been in the industry a long time and know their stuff. A lot of them, like you say, are not that admin heavy, but fundamentally that's where a lot of things go wrong, isn't it? On site in terms of, not only in terms of, you know, bad things happening, but things just like projects slip and costs slip. And that's where you end up in dispute because things have not been recorded properly on site. So you'd like to think, yeah, that if certain people of a certain age can grasp it, then then everybody should be able to grasp it. And we should hopefully see the whole industry record that data. Perhaps uh, one of our clerk of works um, was maybe the most reluctant to perhaps try the iPad and he got a boot full of drawings that he was driving around with all the time. And, <laughs> and now it's probably the biggest convert. He just right. loves it. He just said it's so much better that he can just access everything immediately, dictate yeah. all the notes, and it's just took all that admin headache away from him. And uh, you're right, people of a certain age, maybe we're a bit reluctant to use some of the latest technology. They've embraced it. And, and I think that's what we've all got to do. And then what do you feel about things like modular construction? Uh, do you think that's going to affect the industries again? It's another, similar to BIM, I guess, a lot of talk, but maybe not, hasn't accelerated as quickly as maybe some would like or some anticipated it doing. No, exactly. We've done one or two small modular construction projects in the past, but we've actually got next year at least one, maybe three or four really big schemes in full modular construction where not just the frames, but the whole properties are being built off site and then delivered to site. So there's one down in Kent that we're doing that is in the order of 150 dwellings. And apart from, obviously, we've got to pull the groundworks in and pull the roads through and get the substructures in. But once we start bringing the properties in and dropping them on on the bases, first PC to the last PC is only 10 months. So we're delivering the best part of 150 houses in 10 months, plus the groundwork. So there will be probably another nine or 10 months of groundwork. But to deliver that number of properties in that short period of time is absolutely amazing. So we're looking at, um, as part of our role and part of our clerk of works role, we'll be doing inspections to the factory where they're actually making these things, particularly through first few properties that are being constructed. Because it's about more than ever with those properties about getting the first ones right. Because if you're building mistakes on the first one and then really doubt a hundred times, you get a mistake on every property. So we'll be doing clerk of works off-site inspections and then inspecting them when they're brought to site as well. So I think it's quite exciting. It's quite interesting to, I'm going to be definitely down there on site to have a look at these when they're brought to site and see what they look like. It could make a big difference because if, if you can build 150 houses in maybe overall 18 months, including the substructure, the site works, that's much, much faster than you'd ever do that traditionally. Yeah, probably with a, a you know a low snagging list at the end as well, I imagine. Yeah, you well, you certainly hope so, wouldn't you? Yeah, the, yeah. the challenge will be to see how well they stand up over time as well. Yes. Hopefully they will. 
there's no reason why they shouldn't particularly but it will be interesting to see you know do they stand up to all the rigors the more traditional house would also be required to stand up to so i th definitely think we're going to see more of it but it has taken again it's another one of those taken years hasn't it to really get going and where do you think the kind of qs profession will go because again everyone there's a lot of talk about you know will, will all this eventually take over what the qs does for a living what's your answer to that but will all the technology take it down? yes I think we've got to, again, like everything, embrace the technology and use it yeah. to our advantage. So, you know, whether that be in like measurement software that we all use these days. I mean, mm. when I first started out, we're still using scale rules and cutting shuffling papers and dims and God knows what else. And, you know, producing a bill or a schedule of works took forever. Now we all use measurement software. And, yes. But you still need to have the skill to be able to operate the measurement software. Yes. It's like any computer software. It's about what you put into it, isn't it, as to you know, what you get out of it. And, and also, I think that one of the great skills of a QS is our project management ability and our people skills. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're underrated, but, you know, we're often putting quite challenging situations or adversarial situations in our role. Yes. Uh, and I don't think you can replace that, those people skills, you know, with a computer. I think we'll always be needed to carry out those negotiations and manage those projects and manage the team. So I think it's got a good future. Good to hear for us all. <laughs> um, Richard, that's my main questions. I normally finish now with a few more rapid fire questions, if that's okay. Yeah, no problem. Good. So this is obviously called Meet the Boss. Who has been your best ever boss in your career and why? I'll think about that one. And there was a guy, he's retired now, actually, but I used to work at uh, QS Practice in Leicester and Rod Adam was my boss. And um, he was brilliant. And why was he brilliant? It was because he was calm. He was a great delegator. He gave you the autonomy to get on and run the work yourself. He believed in the sort of the maximum maxim of give a busy man a job. And there was a few of us there who were, you know, growing young surveyors and working all hours to make sure we got the job done. I can remember one time particularly when I felt I was completely overloaded with work. And normally I just get on with it, but it was really getting a bit too much. So I remember going in to see him and saying, sat down and said, told him all my woes, told him out. And he listened, and he said he was really listening. But then when I came out after it, it occurred to me that whilst he was listening, he'd actually given me two more schemes to look at as well. At <laughs> and yet somehow I felt quite pleased, you know, that he'd listened to me. Enough. I think that's a sign of a good boss. If you can delegate well, if you can make your staff think that you're listening to them, but actually listen to them as well, but also manage to keep the business going and delegate the work where it's needed to go to. So, yeah, Roger was great. It was a really good boss. Good answer. Excellent. And what is the best piece of career advice you have ever been given or have heard? Yeah, I mean, I suppose I just think, you know, with this piece of advice that I've picked up along the way really is that whatever you're doing, and this applies to both in people in their career and in businesses generally, you do everything you can to the best of your ability. Don't chase the money. If you do everything your, you know, to your very best ability, the good jobs and the money will follow. And I think that's the same in business. You know, if as a practice we do everything to the very best we can and set very high quality standards, more work will follow and more opportunities and hopefully more profit will follow. You know, it's it's not unusual, is it? The, the better job you do, the luckier you seem to become. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, don't, particularly people starting out early in their career, there's a temptation sometimes to always chase the money, but actually you want to chase the job that gives you the most satisfaction and opportunities to do well and you'll find the money will follow. Yeah, I could not agree more with that. And, you know, you may sound, think it's an odd statement to make as a recruitment consultant, but I, I echo that 100%. I think too many people do chase the money. And invariably, the companies offering the most money are usually offering the most money for a reason. <laughs> and that's usually because they're pretty poor employers, frankly. And yeah. often you find those individuals who go for more money 
almost kind of painting themselves into a corner. Or as one great client of mine once said to me, they get themselves into a fur line rut where they're on too much money, they're cloth to their means, they can't get out of the business, but fundamentally are plateauing in terms of their experience. So no, I would totally agree with you that the really best people will advance because they work hard and do a good job and they'll get the promotion, they'll get the pay that comes with that in the funds. Yeah, of time. I think so. And what's the worst piece of career advice? Yeah, I'm not sure anybody's given me any really bad career advice along the way, but um, perhaps yeah, sometimes you really, people say that you're too old to change direction in your career. And I just don't think you're ever too old to change your, your direction. I mean, you're a long time working. You know, mm. most of us will work for 40, 50 years or whatever it might be. You know, I've had people say in their 20s sometimes, oh, well, I'm too old to change now. And that's just rubbish. Yeah. You know? I didn't start off in construction straight away. When I left A-levels, I didn't go to uni or anything. And I worked in for a sports promotions firm. And then I worked in a sports shop and assistant manager. And it wasn't until my early 20s that I decided to go back to uni and do a part-time course in quantities mm. of it. And we've got a girl here who works with us now who's absolutely brilliant. She's in her fifth year of an apprentice degree course, but she started off as a receptionist for a very large firm of quantity surveyors and actually thought, you know what, I quite, I think I could do this job. I think I could yeah, yeah. do training. And um, they, that particular firm didn't want to take her on to do that, but she went somewhere else that did. And, and then a year ago, she's come to join us and she's brilliant. So just because you start off doing one thing, I don't think you should limit yourself and say, well, I'm too old to change. Yeah, no, great advice. And, and roll that back to your discussion about, the, you know, your clients of work who, who, you know, learn new skills with technology in terms of how they go about on site. We mm. can always develop and change, can't we? Definitely, definitely. And, and in fact, going forward, we'll all have to do, I think, because the, <laughs> yeah. you know, technology is changing the world at such a pace at the moment that if we don't all continue to adapt, we will get left behind. I think even more so in the last nine or ten months, or however long it's been, we've all just adapted to things like using Teams and Zoom and etc haven't we and yeah, absolutely uh, you know we perhaps all dabbled with it a little bit beforehand but yeah. it's now become the norm you know we're now interviewing people on teams and the yeah. first time we actually see them is when the first day they come to their job yeah yeah yeah, yeah. which is a bit weird but, but it's like you say everybody's adjusting because we will be doing more of that yeah definitely yeah. perfect and last question richard what's the best business book you've ever read well you know honestly read a lot of business books uh, specifically but one thing i did read which i thought was about a year or two ago now was the biography of Warren Buffett in America, who is one of the, if not the most successful hedge fund manager and owner in the American economy. His book, Snowball, Warren Buffett, The Business of Life, or it's a biography of him, was absolutely fascinating to see how he had built up his multi-billion pound or multi-billion dollar empire over the years. And just one of the snippets that I think I took from that, which helps made me think when I'm running my business was he always said about investment he said if something appreciates in value buy it if it depreciates in value lease it and I've always took that on board since I read that and I thought you know whether it comes to company cars or whatever just lease them you know don't have the hassle of buying them but when it comes to a property whether it be our offices or whatever we try and buy them I think that's a good piece of advice and probably to something you can take into your private life as well. Yeah, no, he's put a lot of sound advice out there. The other line I love of Warren Buffett's is, um, and I'll probably butcher this slightly, but it's um, be fearful when everybody else is greedy and be greedy when everybody else is fearful. And it's a very apt thing coming out of this next recession now. I think the businesses that are brave and are prepared to work hard now and go after the market versus the ones who maybe go run for cover, it'll be a defining moment as it was in the last decade. Some of the consultancy businesses that I work for grew exponentially over the last decade because they were brave and not fearful. But that's another... Warren Buffett saying, I'd love to hear. No, definitely. It, it is. I think it's, it's like all times, isn't it? It's a sense of opportunity as well as, don't get me wrong, we've all got to be cautious, you know, in all aspects of our life. 
but there's no reason why good positive firms can't make an opportunity of this I think going forward that's what we're trying to do I think there's a lot of people in the industry trying to do the same totally agree totally agree and it'll be a defining moment you know some will really kick on now and others will go backwards I think it's something that employees individuals in, in their careers need to work that out and say look am I in a business that really wants to keep growing now or am I in a business that's running for cover it'll affect their their careers drastically which yeah, way they choose I think this, definitely good Richard, that is me. I have questions. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we close up today? No, I don't think so. That's been really interesting. Thank you. No, well, look, thank you for joining me today. Have a great weekend ahead. Thank you.